Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles, please open them up. Uh, we are going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12. Uh, we'll be focusing in on verses 1 and 2 today. Um, so starting next week, uh, we are starting a new series here at Corner called Distracted. And what we're going to be talking about is, is how do we live our faith in a distracted age? Now, if that's not a relevant topic for us as Americans today, I don't know what is. Because I don't know about you, I get very distracted. Any distracted people in the room? Okay, I get distracted all the time. I really need those reminders. But before we do that, before we do that what I wanted to do this morning was I want us to take a few minutes of our day as we close out 2023, we enter 2024, to be able to reflect on this past year and reorient ourselves as we enter this year. And that's what we're going to be doing in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll be reading that in in just a moment. Now, how many of you have ever felt that the week between Christmas and New Year's is probably one of the strangest weeks out of the year that feels like outside of time, almost. Anyone? I'm often wondering what day is it, right? And when I try to sit down and work, I'm not getting a ton of stuff done. In fact, my attitude is usually, I'll just work on that next year, right? Absolutely. Uh, And I've also heard that calories don't count during this week. That's what I've heard. So if you want that 47th piece of cheese at 2 a.m., brother, you go for it, right? But on a serious note, uh, this week between Christmas and New Year's has always been a really special week for me in my spiritual walk with Christ. This is the week of the year where I kind of pull everything that happened over the last 365 days, and I do I pull all of it out into like the metaphorical driveway, and I take some inventory, and I start thinking about next year. And as I was doing that this week, I realized something, that a lot can happen in a year, can't it? A lot can happen in a year. As I was thinking, I I thought that, I think a lot of us, a lot of times, or at least I have this temptation, that when I, I look back on a year, one event might really stick out to you. And maybe some of you have one event in your mind that happened this year, and that event often colors our year as good or bad, right? That was a good year because such and such happened, or it was a bad year because such and such happened. But I think if we were to really sit and think about it and really ponder the last year, I think we could all acknowledge that we experience all sorts of different emotions and all sorts of different moments during the last year. There were those moments during the last year that utterly and totally wrecked us, and we were like, how in the world am I going to come back from this? And there was other moments that were happened during the year that were this amazing and beautiful moments, and you were probably like, man, I need a photograph of this, I need to keep this in my memory, but when, when I get down, I can remember this event. And there was, there's, emo, there's emotions in every part of the spectrum, right? There's happy moments, there's sad moments, there's angry moments and jealous moments and moments with despair and hope and joy and courage and anger and all of the different emotions that we happen across that pepper all over the calendar. Because a lot happens in a year. As I was taking inventory this week, I really realized that. 
As I was looking at the different things that happened in my heart and in my life, I realized there was just so many different things that were just coming flooding to the surface that I was writing down. I couldn't even keep up with all of it. And as I was journaling, I found myself really taking moments to stop and worship and thank God for all the different victories and blessings that happened throughout the year. And maybe for some of you, you you find yourself doing that too. Maybe some of you got to experience victory in your life this year. Maybe there was a sin issue that you were really struggling with that God really pulled you through. Maybe there was people that God brought into your life that utterly shaped you and pointed you back to Christ or whatever the case may be. But as I was looking through this year, I also found myself processing through wounds that happened this year. And you find you're still bleeding a little bit. Anybody been there before? Things that haven't totally scabbed over yet. And maybe for you, as you look at 2023, you look back and you see those moments, those people, those events that happened, and you're still bleeding a little bit. Or maybe this was a year that you felt yourself spiritually backslide, and right now it feels like you are stuck with the consequences of a string of several bad decisions. However, what I noticed as I looked at the good, the bad, and the ugly that is often called our lives, right? What I found in the midst of every single happy scenario, every single heartbreaking moment, every temptation to sin, every conversation with my wife or friends or coworkers or family or whatever the case may be, I found that I had a conscious decision to make of which master am I going to serve? Who is going to sit on the throne of my heart? So as we leave behind 2023, and some of us are like, thank the Lord we're leaving 2023 behind. Some of you are going to miss it, right? As we leave behind 2023 and we enter 2024, the question I want us to reflect on this morning is who are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? That's what our passage here in Romans 12 is all about. Take a look down at your text with me. Paul's talking to the church in this text. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, there is a lot of things in this text to lay out. There's a lot of different things, but one of the major things that Paul brings out of this text is that all of these moments that we experience on the 365 days in a year, every single one of those moments matter. Your happy moments matter, your sad moments matter, your angry moments matter, your your scared moments matter. They all matter. These aren't random things that are happening. They're not happening by chance. It has no value in your life. They are purposeful. In fact, Psalm 119, verse 16, the writer of the psalm says, Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. Your moments matter. But not only do all of your moments matter, but all of the moments that you and I experience are inherently spiritual. 
See, Sunday is not the only spiritual moment that you experience during the week, and everything else is, is, is random or everything else is a free-for-all, but your whole life is spiritual, and not only is your whole life spiritual, your entire life, every decision, every moment is worship. It's worship. So over these next 365 days, when we encounter the sad moments, the happy moments, and every single emotion in between, we get to make a decision of which altar are we going to worship on? Which altar are we going to worship on? Am I going to worship at the altar of pleasing other people? Am I going to worship at the altar of my comfort? Am I going to worship at the altar of my reputation or money or stuff or relationships? Or am I going to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords with my life. That's the choice that you and I, we have to make every single day of every single moment. And that's where Paul picks up. That's what Paul's talking about. And he starts with this really, really uh, small word, but really, really big word, therefore. Therefore. I said this during first service, but there's this old Baptist joke that whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what it's there for, right? All right. I was raised Baptist. I got to do that, right? And usually when you see a therefore, all you have to do is back up to the previous 10 verses or 11 verses of the previous chapter, and you get the context and you understand what the therefore is there for. But what's really unique about Romans, what's really unique about it is that Paul is not just referencing here the, 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 the last few verses. What, Ro- what he is actually referencing is everything he's talked about in Romans up to this point, the first 11 chapters. Now, I don't have time to give you a synopsis of all the 11 chapters of Romans and unpack all that. I know I've been gone for two weeks and y'all miss me, but y'all wouldn't love me after that, right? So we're not going to do that. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. The Cliff Notes version of what Paul has been doing in Romans. See, the first, for the first 11 chapters, what Paul has been doing is he's been unpacking the gospel. In the first couple chapters of Romans, he's been talking about the severity of our sin. We sang about this in our, our worship the time this morning, right? We, we, the severity of our sin. When we are born into this world, we are born into sin. And the scripture says in, in Romans that we are, are, are dead in our sin. So we're not just hindered. We're not just uh, bummed out by our sin or just kind of trapped a little bit. We are totally dead. We're dead. We're trapped. We can't fix ourselves. We are utterly and totally stuck. But the story doesn't end there. Over the next couple chapters, Paul unpacks this beautiful redemption story that God has been telling over all of Scripture, that God didn't leave us here. But it is in the depth of our sin. It's in the depth of our heartbreak. It's in the depth of our addiction. It's in the depth of all of our deadness and rebellion that Jesus enters mankind's story. We just celebrated this at Christmas. He enters in. He lives a life that you and I could never live. He's tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted, but he does not fall into sin. He lives a perfect life. He's crucified on the cross he, for your sin, for my sin. He dies on that cross. He's raised to, de- raised to life three days later so that you and I can experience life, so that you and I can experience forgiveness and a, rec- and a reconciled relationship to God. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, we are told that through faith in Christ, in repentance, or turning from our sin, 
We gain peace with God, not only for that moment, but every single moment that happens after that. Romans chapter 8 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who walk in Christ Jesus. The punishment has been paid for. It's gone. In fact, J.D. Greer, who's a pastor, once said, There is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do that can make God love you less. There is no condemnation in Christ. You are his. And if that's not good enough, it gets even better. Because not only do you gain peace with God when you accept Christ, but Paul also tells us that this identity and security that you've been given can never be taken away from you. Romans chapter 8 goes so far to say, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else of all creation, if you can think of something else, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Christ, you are forgiven, you are sealed, you are loved, you are cherished, you have a future, you have a hope, you can experience peace in the midst of chaos, and it's never going away. So when Paul says, therefore... When he says, therefore, what he's actually saying is in light of all of this, in light of all the stuff that we've been given, in light of the grace, in light of the forgiveness, in light of the mercy, in light of the hope in the future, in light of all of that, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the only natural response that you and I can have towards the grace of God that's been poured into our veins is to live a life that is wholly surrendered and wholly offered for Christ. That's the natural response. And I think sometimes what happens when we see this text, we miss some of the meaning that the Bible is talking about when it says the words living sacrifice. Right, we don't live in a culture that offers sacrifices of, of live animals anymore. Right? You're not going to walk down to mug shots in Allegan and in the parking lot see a goat getting sacrificed. Right? You're just never gonna, if you do, please call the cops. It's probably a bad thing. Right? But back in this time, when when Paul is writing here, that's exactly what happened. He's writing to a culture who offers sacrifices. In fact, most religions at this time in the world, they all did this. They would take an animal, they would kill that animal, they would burn that animal as an act of ritual worship to God. So most religions did this. This isn't new. But in many ways, what Paul is saying here is revolutionary. It's revolutionary. See, Paul is making a very interesting distinction, and that distinction is in the word living. See, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen too many animal sacrifices, and I got to see a few in Africa. I haven't seen too many animal sacrifices where the animal's alive at the end of it. They die. That's the point of a sacrifice. But what Paul says here is a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And you're not offering an animal, you're offering you as a living sacrifice. See, what Paul is doing here is he's shifting the people away from thinking about a relationship with God as something uh, as, as simple as just following a bunch of religious rules and regulations and rituals. What Paul is doing here is he is reframing what worship actually is. He is pointing it away from seeing worship as something you only do in the midst of a ritual or in the midst of a ceremony, but he's pointing worship as something that's toward the way that you passionately live your life. 
in the way you live in those sad moments, in the way that you live in those happy moments, in the way that you live in those angry moments. See, I think sometimes we talk a ton about these hypothetical situations where we would be willing to die for something. And I think those are okay conversations to have. There's certainly some things in my life that I would be willing to die for. But what Paul is really drilling down on here is not so much hypothetical situations of what you'd be willing to die for. He is asking the question, what are you willing to live for? What are you living for? What puts a fire in your veins? What do you live and bleed for? Because that is what God is after. That's what he's after. Paul is drilling down on a timeless truth that's been true of every single one of us since the dawn of time, is that every single one of us, whether you're in this room or whether you're, uh, you're uh, down in Kalamazoo or wherever, we all offer ourselves as living sacrifices to something. We all offer ourselves as living sacrifices to something. Maybe you offer yourself on the altar of winning the approval of other people, where every decision that you make is centered around gaining, uh, gaining popularity or, or gaining people's approval or gaining people's uh, love or respect or whatever the case may be. Maybe, maybe you go to the gym and, and, and you work out and you run on a treadmill. I'm actually not going to run on this because I'll break my neck, but, uh, but you run on a treadmill or you lift weights or you do all of these things because you're just trying to win the approval of somebody else. Or, or, or maybe you, you compromise your morals so that, so, so that you, uh, you can uh, get people's approval. Or maybe you worship at the altar of having the influence of other people or gaining influence over other people. So you run and you use the world's goods to leverage that from other people. Or maybe you worship at the altar of your comforts and your hobbies. I love my hobbies. We worship at the altar of our comfort, of our hobbies, where we, we spend all of our long hours, we spend all of our overtime to just go and do one more thing in our hobbies because that's what we live and we breathe for. Or maybe you live for the salary. You live for that paycheck. You live for that bonus. You live for that, uh, that overtime so that you can collect that paper and feel some sort of security. Or maybe you offer yourself on the altar of relationships. Reality is, we all offer ourselves as a living sacrifice something. Now, something important I want you to notice is that nothing we just talked about up here is wrong inherently. It's not wrong to go to the gym. It's not wrong to love going to the gym or being passionate about fitness. It's not wrong to want people's approval. It's not wrong to read awesome books or, or have a, 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 a bunch of hobbies. It's not wrong to have influence over people. It's not wrong to have a good-paying salary. None of that stuff is wrong. What's wrong is when, when those things become the reasons that we live, and if we don't get them, we are no longer going to be happy. See, Paul is not saying, to a, he's not saying for us to be a living sacrifice totally devoted to Christ because he's trying to be a buzzkill. Paul is saying this because he knows that the things that we chase after in the world will never satisfy us because they cannot satisfy us because they were never meant to satisfy us. They were meant to be glimpses and glances of the fact that Christ is the only place where joy and satisfaction actually come from. 
See, Paul's call here is not for you to get rid of all the things in your life that you enjoy doing and just go sit in the mountain somewhere and read the Bible all day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we need to order everything in its proper context, in its proper place, to not worship the gifts that God has given us, but to worship the creator of those gifts and live for him. That's what he's saying. That's what he continues. And he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't be like the world. The world is going to run the rat race. They're going to try and find joy and meaning in worldly things. And they're going to come up dry and come up short every single time. Rather, he says, let your minds and let your hearts be renewed and transformed to not place ourselves or temporary things on the altar of our lives, but let put Christ first so that we may discern what is true and what is pleasing to him. In fact, uh, St. Augustine, one of the uh, uh, old church father, once said in a famous prayer, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So my friends, as we go into 2024, the question I have for us is who are we going to place on the altar of our lives? Who is going to get first priority? Is it going to be our plans, our agendas, our, our own selves? Or are we going to place Christ in his rightful place and live a life that is submitted to wherever he might call us? Because guess what? Just like in 2023, you experienced a bunch of different types of moments, of happy moments, of sad moments, of angry moments. Guess what? 2024 is going to be the same stuff. Maybe those levels will be different. Maybe it'll be more happy moments than last year or maybe more sad moments than last year. But we are going to experience all of those moments. It's going to be no different. And the choice that you and I have to make in the midst of these moments is who are we going to serve? That's the choice. But can you imagine what it would look like if you and I chose to do that? If we chose to worship Christ, we chose to live as a living sacrifice for Christ. Every single week, we end our service with the words, you are sent. And we do that because we want, we want to remind ourselves that this Sunday thing is not the end. That your faith does not end when you leave those doors. Your faith continues throughout the entire week. You are called to live your faith, not just in this room, but in every other room. Can you imagine... What would happen if we as people lived that? If we as the church decided that 2024 was the year that we were going to step out from this place week after week after week and live out our faith in front of our neighbors or parents in front of your children, married people in front of your spouses, teachers in front of your students, students in front of your friends, workers in front of your co-workers. Can you imagine what this place would look like if the people of God, if we embraced our commission to live the life that we are called to live as living sacrifices? Imagine what our workplaces would look like a year from now or our families a year from now or our homes or classrooms or schools if we took our commission to go and be a living sacrifice for everyone to see. And not just individually, 
But what if us, as Corner Bible Church, as the church here, what if, what, if we saw, what if we you saw our area that we have been placed in, that we got to be a living sacrifice here, what would change? The Allegan County is the place that God has given us to steward. Have you ever thought about that? He hasn't given us Africa. He didn't give us Mozambique or Chicago or Washington, D.C., He's given us this place. He's given us this area. And he didn't give Allegan to some other mega church or some other really amazing, uh, awesome pastor like John MacArthur or, or J.D. Greer or John Piper. Those are all amazing speakers that God's using in different parts of the world. But he has placed us here. He's placed us here. In fact, look around the room. Say hi to everybody. Wave hey to everybody. This is the team. This is the team. Each of you have been placed here at this time, in this place. Notice you guys weren't born in the 1800s. You weren't born in the 2100s. You were born here. You were born at this place, and you are here. And some of you feel like you, maybe you don't belong, or maybe some of you feel like you belong to a different place or a different time, but none of that is true. You were brought here at this time, in this place. We need to wake up to that fact. God has given us this place to steward, not corner, his kingdom. This is what we've been called to. Will we be a church? Will we be a people who will live sent? If I could have the the guys approach to the front. I brought an exercise that I would like us to do today. I mentioned earlier that I've been doing a ton of thinking and a ton of inventory and a ton of just looking at my life. What the guys are going to do here is they're going to pass out some note cards. And what I would like you to do on those note cards is I'd like you to write something. Now, everyone in our culture, New Year's resolutions are a big thing. That's all well and good. I've done them many times before. Maybe you have too. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about a resolution. But what I would want you to think about for the next couple minutes, I'm going to give you a couple moments to think about it, is what is God calling you to do in this season? Maybe as we've been talking this morning, as we've been talking about idols, you realize there's some things that have been misplaced in your life and God is calling you to put things back in their proper place. Or maybe there's a sin issue in your life that you have been struggling with and you know deep down that God has been asking you to move away from it, but you've been pushing it away and God's saying, now's the time. Or maybe there's that person at work or at school or in your family or or something that God has been laying on your heart to share your faith with or invite the church or invite the youth group or small group or whatever. Maybe it's time to do that. Take a moment, write it down. When you leave today, I want you to stick it on a mirror. Stick it in your car or your Bible or something where you can see it, or your fridge if you open that a lot. Put it in a place you're going to see it. So you can be reminded of what God's calling us to do. Have you guys a few moments?
Father, we want to thank you so much for this day, for this time to look at your word and look at the call that you've placed on our lives. We thank you for giving us your spirit, for covering us with forgiveness, for calling us your children. Father, I pray as we go from here that we live our faith. In the difficult times, we, we surrender things over to you. We lean on each other. We lean on you as we walk out our faith together. Father, we thank you for today. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.